You're listening to KCRW Berlin. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. And for the last time, welcome to The Bear on KCRW Berlin. Sadly, this is our final episode of the show before KCRW Berlin goes off air on December 13th. And in celebration of more than a dozen episodes over the past year and a half, we're doing something very special on today's program. I've invited the founder of The Bear, Diane Nyman, to help me host today's program. We're going to talk about how The Bear started and how much it's grown, and we'll hear some of her favorite stories never heard before here on KCRW Berlin. So without further ado, joining me on the phone is Diane Nyman. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Sylvia. Now, Diane, The Bear on KCRW Berlin, this radio program, launched in June 2019, but... Of course, the Bear live storytelling event that you created has been going on for much longer. Tell me about how you got it started. So I called up my hero, the moth. I really love true personal stories, and I had never seen it live in New York, but I've read several books with stories from the moth. So I decided in the name of Berlin to ask them come to Berlin and do some moth shows. And I finally, after a couple of weeks, I had the guts to call up and I had the intern on the telephone and he just said send us an email so I sent an email and I did get an answer and they just said we're not interested we have so much to do here in U.S. and we're only interested in going to English-speaking countries so they said why don't you try your own show and um, we did and that was in 2015 It was. We started, the first show was in October 2015, and uh, we've done now 54 shows. Wow. 54 shows. How has it evolved since that first show? How has it gotten bigger? So the first show was really calling up everyone I knew, twisting arms, asking friends to get up and tell stories. There was a lot of arm twisting, and there was a lot of music. (laughs) So um, the first shows I was really nervous because I'm charging people tickets to come see a show with stories and I didn't know if we'd have any stories so I'd always have live musicians there to play just in case there were no stories. And pre-pandemic this is a live event where everybody gets on stage everybody's cozied up in one room of course the pandemic changed all of that. How have you adjusted this past year? We went online just like everyone else And the first time we did it, it was special. We had about 80 people join us from all over, not just Berlin. So that was exciting because finally people in U.S., for example, and family could join in. But now that people have gotten used to Zoom calls and online and people spend a lot of time online, it's definitely dropped how many people are listening in. And I understand that we had the opportunity to be outside on stage in the summer And that was just fantastic to be together again. And for that show in September, you actually had way more stories than there was time for in that one evening, right? People were bursting to tell their story. Uh, We never had so many stories. I forget. We had so many stories. We had to do two shows with the same topic, water. We had um, about 20 names in our little bucket. And it it does make me feel happy because in the beginning, we didn't have that many names in the bucket. So it's slowly, it takes time. And I mean, I think 
something so special for anyone who's actually been to the live event is you really get a sense of the community that you've created. It's not only the audience members who, you know, there are some who never miss a show, but there are also the storytellers who come back month after month and get on stage. So when you hear what the topic is, when you hear the it's going to be stories about water, you're already thinking, okay, what are the regulars going to talk about? (laughs) And (laughs) and our first storyteller in today's show actually fits into that category, that category of regular, because it's Mike Troop. Piano. Has he been coming to the Bear since the very beginning? He has, actually. He's a favorite of mine, too, and has become also a good friend. The story we're about to hear from him is called A Big Black Bear. And Mike told this story on September 22nd, 2017, when the theme of the evening was emergency, stories of urgency. So let's take a listen to that. Uh, about 10 years ago, I had started seeing, I was living in New York City, and I started seeing a woman and we had been going out, I think, about four or five months. And New York was very stressful. And I found it very hard to relax there. And she said, at one point she said, you know, I have this cabin upstate, about a, an hour drive north of the city. Uh, why don't we go there this weekend? And it's just very relaxing. So I said, well, okay, yeah, sure. Let's go do that. So we, we get in the the van, and we drove an hour north in the middle. It's actually in New Jersey, right over the border, middle of the woods, only an hour from Manhattan. And uh, we get to the cabin, and I see it for the first time. And it's kind of a cabin in quotes. It's a uh, very small, just uh, fine, no complaints. But I go inside, I look around, There's, I said, this, this is good, you know, this is this would be relaxing. Uh, where's the toilet? Why there no toilet? The toilet's, there's an outhouse in the, in the back, about 100 feet behind the cabin. I thought, okay. Uh, I'm not a big, I like the woods in the daytime. I've never been, never really been one to spend the night in the woods. I'm not a camper. Uh, my wife's German, she grew up kind of in the black forests, walking in the woods at night talking to the moon. Uh, I kind of grew up in a basement watching horror movies. <laughs> there are not good things in the, in the woods, in my perspective. So I'll go in the woods, and I was, was prepared to spend the night. I didn't expect the bathroom back there. Okay, fine. So made it through the night. Fine, no problem. Early in the relationship, I'm, trying, I'm still trying to impress even more. So trying to show I'm brave. I'm not saying, hey, I can't go out there. Uh, So trying to show I'm brave. Make it through the night, no problem. So sleep in late, we say, hey, why don't we, let's take a hike. So there's a point high in in the mountains. It's low mountains around there, the edge of the Catskill Mountains. And uh, we can, there's a point where you can actually see Manhattan, so. We hike through the woods, we get to that point. It's great, it's relaxing, it's October. Beautiful, Hudson Valley, the scenery. We're up at the very top, you can see for miles, 30 miles, I don't know how far you can see Manhattan. All around, eagles, hawks. The sun starts to go down. So we say, well, let's, let's head back and uh, eat something. So we start to head back. 
and the sun's going down, and we don't have a flashlight or anything, no compass. So we keep walking, and I'd say estimated based on where we came from, it's, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes away. It was maybe an hour to get to the top. So maybe it's 15, 20 minutes at one point, and then we look up to the left, the, the path is going kind of straight ahead here, and there's a, to the left is a tree, and I said, hey, look at the top of that tree. There's, what is that? That's a, it's a baby bear. Look at that. That's a baby bear. How cute is that? Look how it climbs up the tree like that, just wrapping its arms around. Oh, it's so cute. And I, and I thought, well, that's weird, you know? <laughs> a baby bear by itself? It's kind of weird. I mean, I've never seen a bear so close. And maybe 30, uh, 20 meters away, 25 meters away, not far. And I think, I, th I thought the mothers were always around the baby bears. And then I thought, I said, to, I said to my girlfriend, I said, you know, I bet there's a mother around here. <laughs> and, so, and she said, yeah, I bet there is. And so we start looking around. We don't see a mother. And we say, all right. Uh, we start to walk. So the baby bear is kind of over there on the tree, slowly climbing down. It's not as cute anymore. Uh, so we're walking down the path slowly, and then lumbering out from behind the tree is a bear, a big black bear, presumably the mother, <laughs> and doing its version of yelling, so growling at us very loudly. And we thought, holy <laughs> that's a mother bear. And that's not, and I don't know exactly what to do. And my girlfriend said, uh, I think the thing to do is be really quiet, not to scare it. No, I think I, read, I, I saw in National Geographic, <laughs> you're supposed to make a lot of noise, and really, because they get scared. And she said, no, I think it's, it's, you really have to be quiet. I said, no, no. So it's our first argument in the woods in front of a bear in New Jersey. So she agrees. She said, you know, I think you're right. So we start making all this noise. We don't know if this bear is going to run toward us. The bear seems very angry. Uh, and we're, we're like, hey, bear, come on, bear. You're great, bear. We don't know what to say. Like, we're against hunting. You know, we don't even have a gun. We don't, we don't you know, we're not going to take your baby. And the bear's not moving, not moving toward us, which we consider progress. So we're just slowly, six inches at a time, walking, and the bear's right there, and slowly we're right in front of the bear, and then the baby bear's kind of hiding behind the mom, peering out. And, yay, bear, you're not chasing us. We keep talking loudly, uh, and the bear does not come toward us. And we slowly pass, and the bear keeps growling, keeps growling, and we slowly round the bend, looking over our shoulder the whole time. Oh, the bear does not chase us. So we get back to the cabin, and uh, I'm not sure if I've, I feel like I've done, you know, I felt like the night before I impressed by not being scared about the cabin. So I feel like, Okay, I've done even more now. I have not been scared about the bear.
oh, we're kind of freaked out. So we, we actually, we eat and then we head back to the city. Because <laughs> even, you know, a black forest girl is like, you know what, let's get back to the city. And we stopped at a grocery store on the way home and we saw something we had never, we had seen many times. We thought, oh, that's silly. What is that? What is that? What is that? And now we understood. And it was a bear bell. And I brought one. Yay. So now, after that, we bought four of them. One for each arm. And uh, whenever we went hiking after that, we brought our bear bells. Thank you. That was A Big Black Bear from Mike Truppiano. This is our last episode of The Bear on KCRW Berlin, and I'm here on the phone with The Bear's founder, Diane Nyman. She's unearthed some of her favorite stories since she started this storytelling event five years ago. And Diane, we just heard A Big Black Bear from Mike Truppiano. Why did that story stick with you? <laughs> Sorry, I really did enjoy The Bear. I thought this is going to be great. This will be our uh, branding story. And I love Mike's humor. I love, I tend to be too quick and he really trusts himself to take time. And it's the space between the words where we have a chance to laugh and smirk and reflect. And I love his timing. I love his descriptions. He can make something ordinary so special through his descriptions. That's true. Now, next up on our program is a story from Liz Erber, and it certainly is appropriately timed for this week because it's about Thanksgiving. Diane, when did Liz tell this story? She told this story on December 4th, 2015, right in our beginning shows. And I was so happy to have Liz there. She knew the moth and knew this genre of true personal story. She's a choreographer and loves to be in front of an audience, usually dancing. But this time she shared a story with us. Well, let's take a listen. So it is Thanksgiving in the year 2000. And this is a special, unusual year for a number of reasons. Uh, for one, I am living in Seattle, and I am in a post-college phase of wanting to reconnect with my extended family on my mother's side. And so I've decided for this holiday to travel to the opposite end of the continent, to Florida, where most of my mother's relatives live. They've all moved here, migrated to Florida at some point. And my mother joins us. She's in the middle where I grew up in the Midwest. And so we all meet in Florida. And we hadn't been together in a decade and a half. It's also an unusual Thanksgiving because no one knows who the next president of the United States will be. If you all remember this, this was in 2000. And uh, so we enter the Thanksgiving holidays without knowing this. And there was a lot of tension within the public at this time. And there were, the count uh, was not yet clear. The vote had been three and a half weeks earlier, but there were scandals popping up everywhere. And uh, so this is how we entered our Thanksgiving. Everyone in the United States entered our Thanksgiving this year. It was also unusual because we were at my uncle David's and he's a flohmarktmann, uh, so he, he's a flea market collector and seller. And his house is usually filled with boxes and junk, and there's no place to sit or 
eat. And so he actually, for once in his lifetime, cleared his house or the, the, the dining area of his house so that we could have a Thanksgiving dinner. So we're sitting there, and it's a beautiful table filled with um, homemade food, all different kinds of, kinds of vegetables and potatoes and salads. And there's a turkey. I'm vegetarian, but very nice food. And we're, it's seemingly normal. We're filling our plates with too much food, and we're talking about who made what and how it tastes. And, but then that's the end of the normalcy, because right in the middle of the table is sitting my Aunt Mary of the religious right. Uh, she's a widow of the former hell and brimstone preacher, Jerry Fleming. And uh, she is no longer speaking to my grandmother, Agnes, her 92-year-old mother. They're, she's no longer talking to her because Agnes voted uh, for Al Gore in this election. It was between Al Gore and George W. Bush. So, so right in the middle, there's sort of a glass wall right in the middle of the table. <laughs> and uh, I believe I said something to them like, you know, everyone has the right to vote for who they want to. And then there was this huge eruption. Everyone is yelling their opinions and they're trying to yell louder than the next person because this is the way my mother's family communicates. They, you just yell louder and louder and you hope that someone hears you and whoever's loudest wins. Uh, so uh, soon at the height of it, I have a cousin, and uh, that's Mary's son. He's actually running circles around the table yelling, baby killers, baby killers, you're all baby killers. <laughs> so abortion is a big issue for the religious right, abortion, evolution, this sort of thing. Uh, and, uh, and then it also comes out that uh, I and my mother, we voted for Ralph Nader for the Green Party. So then, <laughs> So we were also not very popular. We are the idiot ideologues that think that there's something possible other than bipartisan politics in the United States, which it's just not possible. So um, yeah, things calmed down a bit with pumpkin pie, because everyone likes <laughs> pumpkin pie and whipped cream. And I mean, we left the, we left the evening. Aunt Mary still was not talking to my grandmother, but um, that was eventually resolved. Um, I, however, was soaking it all up. I was working in a publishing company and trying, I was um, beginning work as a writer, so I thought this is really great. This is here in my family's dinner is a microcosm of petty American politics. And so I was just soaking it all up. And um, yeah, I just wanted to leave you with, uh, yeah, what would happen if we had had a world without George W. Bush as president, what would have that been like? And if that makes you angry, then you can blame me for voting for Ralph Nader. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you. That was Family Divisions from storyteller Liz Erber. That story makes me feel so nostalgic um, for Thanksgiving. I mean, maybe not for the politics talk, but um, for getting together and, and not over Zoom. I, I don't know. I feel like we're probably going to have a lot of listeners who are going to say like, gosh, I would take a Thanksgiving table right now, even if it meant fighting over politics. That's true. And even though it wasn't the politics we're talking about now, that is a topic that's uh, causing tension at tables.
actually we laughed a lot as she told that story but now i think i wonder how much people would laugh now you know diane the stories we hear on this program are of course all in english because it's english language radio but at the live events you might hear english or german because it's a bilingual event why was that important to you i really wanted to introduce stories these true personal stories in this um tradition that comes from us here in germany People have told me, Diane, it's never going to work in Germany. Germans don't tell stories um, that's been told to me by Germans. And when Germans do come, often they say, I can only tell the story in English. I I don't know why that is. <laughs> Maybe they feel freer in English. But anyway, we do have German stories and it's important to me because we are here in Germany and I don't want to exclude, especially Germans who might not feel comfortable listening or speaking in English. Before we take a break, we do have one more story, and it comes from Hushi Pasquale. Can you tell me about when she told the story, What I Did for Love? It was on February 19th, and the topic of the evening was a little crazy thing called love. And we needed one more speaker, and I know Kushi, she's a good friend of mine, and she normally doesn't come on stage unless she has it perfect. She's really a perfectionist working on crafting her story and she does it beautifully. I said, oh, please come on on stage and tell the story. So she came on stage rather spontaneously and she told a story and I'll never forget this moment. There's a part in the story where you can really hear a pin drop. The audience is so still waiting to hear the next part, which she says. And it was really, you could feel the uh, tension in the air. This story, Kushi went on to work on it many, many times. She must have told the story over a hundred times later. And she went on to a world of public speaking contest in Denver, Colorado. It was a quite a, an honor to get that far. I always like this first version, the one that's a little bit rougher and just spontaneously told. So this story is from February 2016. Keep in mind, the recording you're about to hear is a little difficult to understand due to some technical difficulties, but the story is definitely worth a listen. Here's storyteller Hushi Pasquale. What I did for love. I can think of a lot of things I did for lust. I think of a lot of things I did out of need. But when I think of love, Unconditional love, and I gotta think of my children. But even maternal love sometimes needs a kick in the pants. Sometimes you don't realize you love until someone tries to take it away from you. I was in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, city of brotherly love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> About 40 years ago, single mom with two little boys in diapers. Luckily, Philadelphia at that time was the place to be as a person in transition. You could find most anything you needed just by sitting in a park and as the kids played, ask the mother next to you or the father next to you where to find childcare, what the remedy is for a cold, anything. Where to get a crib? I was lucky enough to get a job at the University of Pennsylvania. And my 
older child, Charlie, was able to go to the University of Pennsylvania Daycare Center. That was great. <coughs> the one biggest problem for single parents is daycare. What do the kids do when you're at work? How do you get a reliable babysitter? I had babysitters that left a note on the door when I got there saying, move to California. I had another babysitter who made the child kneel on the floor and beg for forgiveness if they did something wrong. <laughs> and you don't know about these things until they happen. I thought I'd found the perfect babysitter for Ben, my 10-month-old. Ah, oh, this child would melt anybody's heart. He was sunshine, had such a sweet disposition. And his babysitter, Asha, was also a sweet woman. Married to Ramdas, who was a physics professor and researcher at the university. They didn't have children of their own. And Asha wrapped Ben in love like she wrapped her sari around her body. Everything went really well. Until one day when I showed up at the door to pick Ben up. Had Charlie with me, picked him up first. We get to the door, ring the doorbell, Asha opens the door. She takes Charlie's hand and says, I'd like to talk to your mommy for a little bit, so go play with Ben and Ram in the children's room. Ramdas was home early from work. That seemed odd. We stood in the hallway and had our little chat. She looked at me and she said, do you love Ben? <laughs> she said, what can you do for him? You have no money. You don't even know how to get shoes on his feet or clothes for him. What do you have to give him? You are poor. And it was true. I have no money. Do you love Ben? What is his future going to be like with you? What can you do for him? Can you educate him? Send him to a fine school? Can you give him the start he needs on life? As I'm hanging my head wondering where this is going, she says, Ramdas and I have been thinking a lot about Ben. I have a rich uncle in India who would love to adopt him, who would give him a life that you could never give him. He'd have everything he needed. He'd be treated as a prince, dressed in fine clothes, get the best education, be introduced to cultural sights and sounds that you would never be able to give him. Will you give us Ben to give to my uncle? <laughs> Guilt was the first feeling. And then panic. My children are with Rhonda's in the playroom. And Asha is standing between me and them. 
will I get out of here with my children? I decided to be diplomatic. Thank you, Asha. Thank you for sharing this and for your concern for this. I will think about it. <laughs> and I went into the playroom and I picked Ben up off the floor and held him close to me and I put out my hand, Charlie knew the signal, he grabbed my hand and we went towards the door. Asha went with us and as we left I thanked her again for her concern. And door closed behind me, there was a rush of anger that went through me. How could she take Ben away from Charlie? How can you separate brothers? And how can you take him away from me? No matter how many times I wanted to sell them, <laughs> or leave them on somebody's doorstep, no matter how many times I was tired of the next dirty diaper, or wiping a snotty nose, or picking the Legos off the floor, I knew what I had with them, and what they had with me. And I knew that the next day, I would be looking for a new babysitter. <laughs> that was What I Did for Love from storyteller Hushi Pasquale. You're listening to The Bear on PCRW Berlin, and I'm joined today by The Bear's founder, Diane Nyman. We're taking a short break. When we come back, we are going to switch roles a little. Diane will ask me some questions about The Bear on KCRW Berlin and what it's like behind the scenes putting the show together. Stay with us. I'm Marco Werman, host of The World. Our reporters and producers are following events in every time zone. Their contacts include doctors, epidemiologists, and public policy experts. Get the facts, be prepared, be informed. Listen to The World. Tuesday through Saturday at 9 a.m. on KCRW Berlin. Welcome back to The Bear on KCRW Berlin. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. On the last Saturday of every month, we bring you stories recorded live at Bear Storytelling events here in Berlin. Today's episode is a special one because it's our last before KCRW Berlin goes off the air. And joining me over the phone to mark this occasion is the Bear's founder, Diane Nyman. Thanks for being here, Diane. It's great pleasure to be here. Now, in the second half, I'll be highlighting three stories that are personally special to me. And I promised you, Diane, that you could ask me some questions. So... Go ahead. <laughs> What's your story, Sylvie? We've told you so many of our stories. How did you come to journalism? How did you come to Berlin? Well, this could be a very long answer. I'll try to keep it brief. <laughs> I think the reason I came to journalism, I was thinking about this, and I think it could date back as early as fifth grade um, when I was graduating from elementary school to middle school. And I remember my fifth grade teacher um, was reading out all the names and he said, Sylvia, I have a question, Cunningham. And I think that I've always had questions. <laughs> that really describes you. <laughs> <laughs> I've always had questions, lots of questions. 
And I also always loved writing. So when I was younger, uh, younger than that, um, I was kind of obsessed with uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and Regis Philbin. And so I used to um, make short stories that were like, you know, Mrs. Nardella's million dollar chance after my third grade teacher. And so I, that combination of liking to ask questions, being curious, and then also writing kind of propelled me down this path. Um, and when I was in college, I started working with the television station, the college uh, radio station. And it kind of all just came together and I thought, oh, okay, you can actually make a career out of these things that I just have always liked doing. And yeah, that's kind of how it happened. What was the, your teacher would call you Sylvia, have a question Cunningham? What was your nickname? Yeah, my fifth grade teacher who said, Sylvia, I have a question Cunningham. Yes. (laughs) That describes you so well because I remember you uh, sat in on the feedback sessions we had for the storytellers and that's afterwards I thought, wow, Sylvia is so curious and she had so many questions. That was great because you really, when you ask those questions to a storyteller, it really gets them reflecting and being more exact and it was helped move the story forward. So it was great to have you there in those sessions. I loved being part of those sessions because I think, as you mentioned earlier, it's, it's often that first version of it, that there's something so special about it and Actually, this is a segue to the next story um, because uh, the next the the first story that I want to highlight is a story from Galu Roma, and her story was called "A Letter from Jakarta," and I believe um, November twenty second, twenty nineteen. This was Galu's first time on stage, right? It was. Someone brought her. A friend of hers brought her to the bear. I just instantly, the theme of the evening was paper. And I, when I heard the story, I just couldn't stop smiling. And it just, honestly, it really moved me. And I knew right away that this was going to be on the bear on KCRW Berlin. So let's take a listen. Um, I was six and my sister was 10. We were living in a very, very small village in Jakarta, uh, in Indonesia. And it's very far from the nearest town nearby. And our family didn't have much, but we have one luxurious item in the house, and it was a TV. We have a we have a, a very old TV that my father got from his father, his father got, got from his father, and etc. <laughs> and we had it in a, in a living room, which actually the living room was just a the TV and a carpet. And uh, every day after school, after came back from school, our uh, me and my sister need to like uh, wash the dishes, clean the house, scrap the floor, uh, help our father in the rice field, and then after that, then our mother would allow us to uh, to watch the TV. And because uh, we live in a in the village, so the we only be able to watch one like uh, network channel. And in the afternoon, there is this uh, children's show uh, that I love dearly. It's called Tralala Trilili. And it's, <laughs> it's basically uh, like the children uh, from uh, all across the Indonesia can send a letter. And they can send greetings and request for song and also like tell their problem. And this host, she's like 14 years old, will give the advice. It's kind of like dear sugar for children in Indonesia. <laughs> So at that time, my dream was like, okay, someday I will write a letter and she will read uh, my letter and give me advice. And one day I was like, tell my sister, like, this is the time. Like, 
I will write, I will write the, the letter and she had to read it. So I wrote a letter. I still remember the letter was like, hey, I want to send greeting to my older sister, for sure. And I, I actually have a problem. Like, I hate, I hate my shoes. Like, the problem for children. I hate my shoes because it's so old, it's so ugly, there are so many holes, and I'm so envy that the, the, uh, my friends in the school has, like, very like new the newest shoes and this is even like this is the 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 old shoes from my sister so i hate it i hate it so much and i tell my sister like hey this is the time i want to send this this letter how 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 can i send it and my sister supposedly like she knew that like sending a letter meant like we need to go to the town we need to buy a stamp we need to buy an envelope and yeah we haven't have the money and it seemed like very complicated for us and then but instead she said to me actually it's very easy like you can just like put it uh, put your letter like under the 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 front door and in the morning the postman will came uh, will come and uh, and take it and put it in the envelope put it the stamp and send it away and it was like really this sounds super easy and she was like yeah no big deal and then like the next morning I was like, before I went to school, like I just put it under, under, under the door and then off I went to school. And then I, I forgot about it. And then after I came back from school, like I do all the job. And then before I, I uh, watched the TV, the highlight of my day, I, my sister came to me, why don't you check the front door? Maybe, maybe you got reply. And I was like, I don't want reply. I want she read my letter and then like, because uh, like you, you better wish the same too. Because I, I send a greeting to you, uh, and I want her advice. And she was like, No, 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 it doesn't work like that. The, she received so many letters, so she cannot like, uh, she cannot read it all. But the the best letter, she will reply. I was like, Really? That's even better. So I ran to the door, and voila, there was a letter for me. And I read it, and it, it was like, Hey, I'm the host. Like she called Dea. I'm Dea. Um, uh, uh, greeting back to your sister and for your problem like it doesn't really matter it just shoes but the most important it doesn't really matter the most important thing is that you have a TV and <laughs> and and that you have a good grades in school no idea how she know it and then the best thing is that there is some coins like rupiah coins in the letter and it was like she also give me money and, and my sister was like, yeah, you should read in the envelope. Maybe there is a writing about money. And she was, and I, I, I look around, it was like, yeah, P.S., with this money, you can buy one candy tomorrow at school. I was like, oh my gosh, it's my Santa Claus. I love it so much, it's my angel. So uh, since then, like, I wrote so many letters. Depends on my mood, because basically, like, my diary. And I sent it, like, sometime once a week, sometime, like, uh, twice a month. And... Uh, it kept doing like that, like after a year, my sister went to boarding school and it was like, I was devastated. Like she was like my, my best friend and yeah. And then because of that, I wrote more letters and I was like, why suddenly the postman stopped picking up my, my letters? <laughs> and I asked my mom, mom, where's the postman? Is he dead? Why he never come <laughs> back? And my mom was like, uh, yeah, no, it doesn't work like that. And I was like, I keep thinking, thinking, and thinking, and I just realized it was all my sister for a year. Fast forward nowadays, sometime like when I remember my childhood, I was so annoyed because we didn't have much. And I was so jealous with like so many of my friends, they have so many opportunities, they learned so much since they were kids that I just had nothing. And I feel like it, life is so unfair. 
And then I remembered this thing and I realized that my sister spent so much money, so much money, and spent so much time to read all of my rant about her, about my friend in the school, about my shoes, my food, everything, and she replied every of them. And then I realized that actually I was very lucky. That was priceless. Thank you. That was a letter from Jakarta from storyteller Galu Roma. On today's show, I'm joined by the Bears founder, Diane Nyman, and we're talking about some of our all-time favorite stories. The next storyteller I want to highlight is Denise Banks Grazadek. And the next story you'll hear is one that she told at an Eve of the Champs event. Diane, can you explain what that is? So every month after the show, we ask the audience to choose their favorite. And I wanted to have these favorite storytellers have a chance to come all together, have a, a destination. So at the end of our season, which is in June, we have the Eve of the Champs where all these favorite storytellers come on stage again and we just have a really high level compelling stories the whole evening and this eve of the champs was on june 14th 2019 and the theme of the evening was alone stories about being a fish out of water here is denise banks grazadek one moment in her presence and you can forget the rest for the girl is second best to none, ooh, sigh, give your attention, do I really have to mention she's the one? This. This is a little song that sometimes plays in my head when I need to have a little more confidence. And I thought it's the perfect song to start off a story about my award-winning one-woman show on Broadway. Then I remembered, this is the bear and it's true storytelling. <laughs> that Broadway thing has yet to happen. But this story actually did. I'm in my 20s, so obviously not that long ago. <laughs> and I, <laughs> you're laughing way too much. <laughs> so I'm in my 20s and I am working at a big international company and I get sent to do a presentation. I'm flying to, from Berlin to Munich to do a presentation on knowledge management and to talk about how we're gonna manage the change. I'm feeling confident because I know my stuff and I know the benefits, I know the challenges, and I know how to deal with the questions that they're going to ask me. I take my flight, I arrive in Munich, I get to the, our Munich office and I'm walking, my heels are clicking, looking good, heads turn. I'm used to this because in our Berlin office, at that time about a thousand people, I am the only black person and I am the only non-white woman. Maybe that's why they're looking. It might also be 
the pink suit that I'm wearing. <laughs> and because I didn't know about Diane's basement sale, mine was a fake Chanel. <laughs> or maybe it's the fact that, hey, at 20, I was pretty darn cute. I arrive, I take the elevator up to the top floor in my head. She's the one. The elevator stops. I take a deep breath. I walk into the conference room. All eyes are on me. Uh, excuse me, the ladies' room is down the hall. I pretend I don't hear this. Walk in. I'm Denise Banks. I'll be giving the presentation this morning. Everyone sits down. I move over, take my position. I'm gonna crush this. I give the presentation, it's fantastic. Now we're gonna have the discussion. I take my seat and what happens next? I become absolutely invisible. Did I mention this was a presentation for the senior management in the automotive industry? Everyone in this room was at least 10 years older than I was. Everyone was male, and everyone had a zero on the melanin spectrum. <laughs> they were not about to let me in the old boys club. Conversation starts, they're speaking amongst themselves. Well, what are the real benefits of this? What are we, how are we going to manage this? I, they talk over me. They ignore me. And in the back of my head, the song's playing. She's the one. Give me your attention. So I'm not sure how we're going to manage this. We've got to, I, and this goes on. For about 45 minutes, I've not said a word that someone hasn't interrupted. Suddenly, I begin to rise, and it's an invisible force. I don't actually want to do this, but I feel myself getting up. I'm walking to the front of the room, and I stand, and I wait. And I give them the kind of look mom used to give us when she told you not to do that. And I stand. I have perfected the art of silence and staring you down. <laughs> After a week or two, it's actually about a minute, it feels like a week, the senior lead looks up and I make eye contact and he turns back and continues his conversation. Give me your attention. <clears throat> Gentlemen, the senior stops speaking, and slowly around the table, everyone else does. All eyes are on me. If you'll give me your attention, I've been listening to your questions. I can answer them now, and I can show you how we're going to move forward. This is an important time for us, and I can help you. The people that in our team, that's what we're here for. 
I move back to my seat. I sit down. I breathe a sigh of relief. And when the meeting ends, I've answered all the questions. I get up to leave and I think, there's real power in silence. There's power in knowing when to speak and when not to speak. And there's also real power in listening to that little voice in your head, the one that says, give me your attention. You're the one. So I came in, maybe feeling like a fish out of water, and I left feeling like a shark in an aquarium. That was Denise Banks-Grazadik with her story, Your Attention, Please. And so now we are sadly coming to our final story on today's program. And I always find that this person is good when things get a little sad. He cheers you right up. He is always good for some comedic relief when you need it. So Renko Powell's is our next storyteller. When did Renko start coming to, to events? He actually came from the very beginning, 2015, and then disappeared for a while, then showed up again. And he, I love when Renko comes on stage. He is just naturally very, very funny. And it just feels so good to laugh. And I'll add that this story is special because it was the very last story on the very first episode of The Bear on KCRW Berlin. So I'd like to close it out again with this one. It's called Baby Alpaca. And Renko told this story on May 16th, 2019, when the theme of the evening was stories of regret, if I could turn back time. So when I look back at my life, there are many things I could have done differently. I've been a bully. I've been bullied. I've lied. I've cheated. But then again, I mostly lied to myself and cheated on myself. And after hearing all these deeply moving stories today, I thought, you know what, maybe I could take it a bit lighter and talk about the, what the idiot that I really am uh, to end maybe on a bit more a lighter note. So I want to take you back to just a few uh, months ago when I was traveling uh, with my now fiance. Uh, oh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Wow, already an applause, hurrah. Um, yeah, uh, we were hiking uh, through the Andes in Peru uh, up to Machu Picchu, which is very lovely. I can very much recommend it. And what is so lovely about uh, Peru is that it's uh, colorful and it's sunny there. Um, I don't know uh, if you've ever been to Latin America, but it's very different than Berlin. It's not so gray and uh, it's, I, I, I adore it so much. And one... One day we were walking in a village preparing for a four-day hike up to Machu Picchu. And um, everywhere you go, you see these very tiny, uh, old, wrinkly ladies with, uh, who are looking very happy and very, very colorful with ponchos and big hats. And uh, they drag around a, a llama or a baby uh, or an alpaca. So, yeah, these uh, 
these animals, and uh, they do this to keep like the, the tradition alive, obviously for the tourists. They're basically uh, prostituting out these uh, llamas, so, they, so you can take a picture and you say like, oh no, I've been to Peru. And of course I didn't do that. I, I thought this was wrong. You cannot do this. This is just abuse of this animal. Uh, but I, I have to admit, I kind of regret it because I saw friends, or I met friends, and they showed me their picture, and it looks really nice and colorful. And you don't need too much of an Instagram filter when you have those pictures. But okay. And then it gets even better because you have uh, uh, these old ladies with all their colorful things and their trinkets that they're selling, uh, and instead of a llama, they have a baby alpaca. Now, if you if you like puppies, if you like uh, tiny kittens, then you will love, love, love baby alpacas. They are soft, they are cute and adorable, and you can take pictures with them. Oh, but I didn't because I thought this is animal abuse. You cannot do this. And do I regret it? Well, maybe a bit, eh? maybe a bit, but uh, I, I didn't do that. Um, now, uh, what I did do uh, is, um, no, sorry, I didn't also didn't buy anything there, because uh, what they do, uh, besides uh, pimping out those baby alpacas, they also uh, sell things. Uh, they do handcraft, and they sell like, oh, you want to buy a baby alpaca wool hat, for example, and it's just like some colorful hat that says Peru. And uh, I said, no, it cannot be. It cannot be that you've made this uh, hat because there's so many tourists that are going to Machu Picchu. There cannot be enough baby alpacas to shave to create all these hats for all these tourists. Cannot be. It's impossible. Uh, so I didn't buy um, any of these, um, yeah, what I thought were machine-made um, Peruvian hats, <laughs> even though they're very colorful and would look great in this gray Berlin. Um, one day we took... Um, we went uh, into the mountains, into the Andes. We were visiting a coffee uh, plantage or whatever where they make coffee. And uh, there was like an old man. He was like peeling coffee beans with these machines. And they were showing us how they make these uh, authentic ho, 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 um, baby alpaca um, uh, things. So they would show us how they shaved off the wool and then how they, they washed it with like a plant and then they mash it up and it foams and then it's clean and then they take like seeds or plants and then they mash it and it becomes a color and they mash it with the wool and then it has an authentic color and then there's this old lady with her poncho and her big hat, a very colorful, and she's like weaving and best. And you think like, okay, this is a real authentic baby alpaca wool thing. So um, I saw a sweater. They tried to sell me a sweater, and I thought, oh, should I buy a real baby alpaca? Oh, I'm tired. A baby alpaca a wool a sweater. I thought, that's going to be pretty tough. I might regret <laughs> this later, because uh, you can probably not put this, this in the laundry. You probably have to wash this all by hand, right? But yeah. So I was like, oh, should I do it? Should I not? And it had like this real cool print with like llamas on it. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's great. Uh, so my uh, then still boyfriend, uh, but now fiance, said, oh, you just do it. So we put uh, pesos on the table. And then I got finally my, um, what I thought was a baby uh, alpaca sweater. So I wore it. I was like, oh, yeah, great. It's so happy. It's so traditional and authentic. And then when, once we came back home to Berlin, I had to wash it. I thought, oh, should I really hand wash this? Uh, because all my friends were saying, maybe, maybe this is not really 
authentic baby alpaca. And I thought, how it cannot be possible that these ladies in Peru that did this whole show for us were like cheating on, on a tourist. <laughs> like, me, how, how, how could they? It even had like llamas on it. It's literally, it cannot be. That's, what did we ever do to them besides the Spanish people in trading? Um, so yeah, a lot maybe. So I googled how to find out if your sweater is real baby alpaca wool knitted by a Peruvian. And there's one thing you can do. So uh, if you have a sweater and you're wondering if it is really uh, baby alpaca or llama or any natural fiber, what you can do is you can light it on fire. So, no, it's true. Wait, 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 wait. So if you light it, like put fire uh, to, the, to the fiber and it catches fire, that means it's a polyblend and it will just, yeah, it's gone, but that's maybe for the best. Um, because who wants polyester? Uh, and if it just carries out. So I thought, okay, let's find out. I will either uh, regret uh, buying this uh, sweater or regret uh, burning it. And as you can see, I'm not wearing the sweater right now. That was Baby Alpaca from storyteller Renko Pals, our final storyteller on our final episode of The Bear on KCRW Berlin, which is a very sad sentence to say. But that said, this radio program might be ending, but the Bear Live storytelling event, of course, is most certainly not ending. So, Diane, what is up next via Zoom for the Bear? On December 18th, we're going to bring our storytelling community together. And really, we decided if it's 10 people or 100 people, we're not interested in how many. It's really just being there. And we're trying to make it special so that people can come with a Christmas background, make a nice drink, something to eat, because usually we have a Christmas buffet at the end of the year, and just share stories. The topic is, what a year, 2020 stories. I think a lot of people will have a lot to say on that topic. We are not the same person we were in January, and great stories are about transformation, starting one way and through struggles and obstacles end up to be someone else through that. And you can find more information on that Zoom event on thebear-storytelling.de. Diane, thank you so much for being on the show today. And furthermore, thank you for all the energy you put into fostering this great storytelling community in Berlin. Sylvia, thank you for your interest. At the beginning, you said, I'm just going to come for a couple of times and I'm going to send someone else. And you kept coming and recording the stories yourself and you just became part of the family. And we'd eat falafels before the show afterwards and laugh and talk and discuss the stories. And it's just been a wonderful journey with you. Thank you so much for your curiosity and for all your wonderful questions. Thank you so much. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to The Bear on KCRW Berlin over the past year and a half. You can find all the previous episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. Thanks for being here.